Well, the first Sunday of Advent is here among uh, on us, and if you're not familiar with Advent or what it is, what it's about, um, during uh, the, the run-up to Christmas, we pause um, as a church family, along with many, many other churches around the world, um, we pause to celebrate the four themes of Advent. And so today we'll take on hope. Uh, the next week we have peace and then joy and love. As um, the calendar unfolds, what it does is that it makes us stop and put ourselves in a different rhythm than normal. It interrupts us. And so today we light this candle of hope. And the, the thing is, it's a reminder, just a visual reminder. It's a visual reminder for us. Um, to focus, a a place where we can turn our eyes and go, yes, we remember uh, that there is hope in the world because of what God did for us at Christmas time. And so over the next um, four weeks, we're going to take up hope, peace, joy, and love. We'll be looking at those themes all from the book of Psalms. And so if you have a copy of your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Psalm 33. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one if you need to take it with you. um, It is our gift to you. If you just need to borrow it for the morning, that's perfectly fine too. You can put it back. Also, if you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up uh, your app and find our live event and track along with the scriptures uh, and the sermon notes and um, some other important information there. So <clears throat> just a word here. We're going to read the whole psalm in just a moment. I'm really focused mainly on the past, uh, excuse me, on the last four or five verses. Um, but just a word here about over the next four weeks, how we interact with the psalms. Okay, this is an important thing because otherwise we may get uh, kind of sideways with the things that we read. So uh, Christmas morning comes. The kids have opened their gifts. My wife and I, we exchange our gifts. I open up mine. I'm so grateful. She opens up hers, and she finds a book that I have written for her. You're not impressed by that? It's a book, people, of poems that I have written for her. Is any better? Y'all are terrible. I have written a book of poems for my wife. And in this book of poems, I have consistently themed these poems around how great I am. And all the things that I have done for her and trying to do my best to remind her of all the goodness that I have set before her just by being me and taking the actions that I have taken. So it's a book of poems about me and how awesome I am. Furthermore, I made sure to include in each of the poems at least one place, if not multiple places, where I said, so sweetheart, in light of who I am and how great I am and what I have done for you, I think you should praise me. Thank me. Stand in awe of me. No? It's a book of poems about me, and I, in the middle of those poems, have called forth her praise of me. And just to top it all off, at the very end, throughout, woven throughout the poetry, is this idea, simply this, that her great 
joy will be found when she actually does what I say to do. What do you think, people? Uh, in counseling, <laughs> Donna Rogers is back there like, oh, don't you try that, Bo. Don't you try it. Why is that not a good idea, people? Because, number one, I'm not that great. And those who worship, praise, thank, and generally stand in awe of me have probably a misplaced understanding of what those things actually mean. And furthermore, those who do worship, praise, and stand in awe of me don't really have their joy fulfilled. Why? Because I'm not that great. Not the case with God, though. So, in the book of Psalms, we see a book of poems that he has given us about how awesome he is and how he is reminding us of all the good things that he has done for us. And we might think to ourselves, God, are you a little bit of a narcissist here? Like, you just kind of, what what's, here's the deal though. It would be, it would be something if that were me doing that for you or for somebody special or, or for, it's not that way with God. Why? Because he really, the, the Psalms make sense if God is the greatest good. Furthermore, unlike me, what he commands is truly the greatest good, and he's not giving of something else. He's giving of himself. Why is he giving of himself? To meet our greatest need. So here we have this great God looking at our greatest need and giving us the greatest good that he could absolutely give us, and that is himself. That's what we see in the book of Psalms consistently over and over and over again. This book of poetry that says this, yes, God is amazing, unbelievable, wonderful, powerful, and he has done great things in the world for you and for me. Therefore, we as a people should praise him and we find our great joy and the fulfillment of that in our praise of him. That wouldn't work for you or me. That would make us idolaters, right? That would make us idol worshipers. But for God, this is how it's supposed to be and how it works. So here in the book of Psalms, with that kind of um, out of the way, well, let me just, can, can I just make one application real quick? Just one. Um, I say this, and we picked this up maybe two or three months ago. I say all of that with the Psalms. I just want to exhort you, encourage you, and call you in light of who God is and in light of what he's done and in light of what he calls for and in light of our great joy as we follow him and, and um, do what he says. Sing, church family. Sing. Like be people who sing. Who just get up and honk it off because God is who he is and he's done what he's done and he has called forth this, and it is your great joy. So let us be people who sing for God and for ourselves and for the brother or sister who's sitting next to you who needs some encouragement and to teach your kids to sing. Let's sing. So, so in light of that, Psalm 33, verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. 
Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. Now there are all sorts of words out there, church. Do you know that? All sorts of messages that we could be tempted to receive. They're not upright. The word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the earth, excuse me, by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations He frustrates the plans of the peoples. But this is good news right here, verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. You know that the word, that God Himself is the only one who has the last word over your life. That's because the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation or the people whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen as a heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where He sits enthroned, He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. That's a good psalm right there. That's a good psalm. And today we pick up this Advent theme of hope. And this song from the heart of the psalmist helps shape that. And so I want to pick back up in verse 18 for just a moment. We'll work our way down through 18, 19, through the end of the chapter there. Verse 18 though, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. I'll want to just, as we think about hope and concentrate on hope today, the theme of hope, I want to um, make these three truths kind of pop off this text, because I think they do, certainly for me. First of all, here it is. Number one, you ready? You and I, we can have hope today because we are seen by God. Now don't miss this. You and I, we can have hope because we are seen by God. He says in verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Now, it's not just that. Back up to verse 13. He ran it down multiple times in this text. The Lord looks down, looks down from heaven, and he sees all the children of men. How many children of men did he see? All of them. That's exactly right. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on how many of the inhabitants of the earth? What's it say? On all of them. Okay, are you getting the picture here? Um, verse 15. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he observes 
all their deeds. So you get the idea that there is a God in heaven who is looking down and he is checking it out. And he's not just looking for the squeaky wheel who needs the grease. And he's not just looking for the volcano that blew up to catch his attention or somebody who's down there waving the flags going, help me, help me. What does he look down and see? He looks down on the entirety of his creation and on the entirety of the children of Adam, you and me, that's, that's humanity. And he sees us where we are. And when people get this, when it snaps for them, two, there is a visceral reaction that typically goes in one of two ways. Number one, oh my God, can't you see me? Did you see that? Did you see me when I thought that? Did you see me when I didn't do that? Did you see me when I felt that, desired that? Pulled that off, did not pull that off. Did you see me when I failed miserably this morning as we were trying to get the kids to church? John, did you see that? Oh, no. You saw me. You saw me. And some of you come in here just like that. Oh, God, I can't believe you saw me. If it really clicks for you, There's kind of this soul-level, gut-level reaction. Somewhere deep down, it just comes out of you. Oh my God, you saw me. Or, the other one is, you saw me? Thank you God that you saw me. I, I felt like I was alone. I felt like it was just me and the desert and the darkness and all of this stuff was happening around me. I'm just traffic all around me and I'm just sitting in my car solo and I can't believe that you saw me. What I want to say this morning to whether you're holding up the one card or holding up the other, I think generally when it pops for people that that's true, you go one of those two ways. What I want to say this morning, no matter how you will respond, I want to encourage you with this. God Almighty, the God of the universe has looked down from heaven and he sees you. He sees your situation. He sees your frustration. He sees your your, uh, personality. He sees how things are working inside of your heart right now. He sees the soul that you're really struggling to kind of keep in line and not let it get malformed as all of this pressure at Christmas and Thanksgiving with all the family craziness. He sees all of that stuff. He sees it all. And folks, I just want to say, if God is not watching, then we have no hope. Like if it depends on me to catch his attention, look at me, God, here I am. I have no hope, and you don't either. I'm not big enough, important enough, powerful enough, good enough, whatever, enough. And you're not either. Catch the attention of God Almighty. Good news. I don't have to catch the attention of God Almighty. Why? Because he sees. We are seen. So the question follows, I think, something like this. Uh, So what... If God sees me, what is he thinking when he looks at me? Isn't that fair? Okay, so you see me. What does that mean? Whether you are struggling with, oh, no, please don't look at me right now, God, or you're going, oh, thank you, God, that you actually see me. I think he would say the exact same thing to both of you. He would say this. I have created you. What is he thinking when he sees us? I have created you for my glory, to live for me. 
and I am going to devastate you and ravish you with my love until you both willingly and delightfully do that. I am going to wipe you out and remake you with the sheer force of the love that I have for you until your will surrenders to that and you are delighting in actually doing my will instead of in these other things. Our question, what is God thinking when he sees us is, I've made you for a purpose and I want you to live according to that purpose. You are seen today. And I think that's a tremendous foundation of hope and that leads into the second one. Verse 18 again, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. We have hope not only because we are seen, but also because of God's love for us. God loves you, and he has a steadfast love for you. The Hebrew word um, that he uses there is the word hesed, C-H-E-S-E-D. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. Um, The Lord, the Lord, gracious, kind, full of mercy, um, and holy and just, and he has steadfast love. He is full of steadfast love. So uh, on and on and on. So you get this idea. If you, if you have the um, same version that I'm reading from, the English Standard Version, um, whenever you see in the Old Testament, steadfast love, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about this Hebrew word, hesed, another way that some people have translated it before, and I, I, I appreciate this, this kind of faithful care that God has for his people. This word is used to describe how God relates to his people all throughout the Old Testament. The steadfast love or this faithful care. So the question goes something like this. Well, what, what kind of love is this? Or another way to say it, for those who hope in his steadfast love, like why should I hope in this kind of love? Maybe I've hoped in love before and it didn't turn out so great. Just listen to this. Just these are not, these won't pop up on the screen. They'll be on the notes that we post online. I just, I want you to just listen to this. I just took the Psalms and said, okay, what does the psalmist say about steadfast love? Listen to this. What kind of love are we talking about? Why do we hope in this steadfast love? Psalm 25, verse 7. It is why God remembers you. He calls you to mind according to his steadfast love. Psalm 25, 7. You want to know if you're on God's mind or not. Yes, you are. And it's because of his steadfast love. His love saves you. Psalm 31, 16. You are not saved because you are lovable. You are saved because God chose to love you and set his affection on you. Um, His love surrounds you. Maybe one of my favorites as of late. His love surrounds you. Psalm 30, excuse me, Psalm 32, uh, verse 10. So wherever you go, you've got this cloud of surrounded, covenant, steadfast love and faithful care from God. Wherever you go, that's going to be true. Um, His love fills the earth. We read this earlier in Psalm 33, Psalm 33, verse 5. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Can I tell you why that's good news today? Because you're going to have to step into some places this week, maybe. You're going to have to step into some places where you're going to think, I'm not so sure I want to be here. Can I tell you what is going to meet you there when you step into those places? The steadfast love of the Lord. Why? Because the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. There is not a place. There is not a hospital room. There is not an office meeting. There is not a desk. There is not a um, a room at your house. There is nowhere that you will step this week that the steadfast love of the Lord will not meet you there because his love fills the earth. Nowhere. 
His love not only fills the earth, Psalm 36, verse 5, your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Psalm 36, verse 7, just two verses later, it is a precious thing. It is a valuable treasure. His love, Psalm 63, verse 3, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. His love is better than life. In other words, it is better to quit breathing than than to turn away from the steadfast love of the Lord. His love is better than life. And why is his love better than life? Psalm 90, verse 14, satisfy us in the morning, O Lord, with your steadfast love. The love of the Lord satisfies you and me. Um, and in, I love this one too. Psalm 100 verse 5. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Good news. You walk in here, you sing a song, you hear a sermon, you, you walk out feeling loved. That's good. I'm, that's a good thing. Tomorrow when you wake up and you don't feel so loved, you know what's still going to be true? The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The same love that he had for you today is the same love that he has love that he will have for you tomorrow. And a year from now, I mean, 2017 was hard. 2018, eh, maybe a little better. 2019, don't know. Good news. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. It will be the same and at the same volume coming at you as in your best of days. And five years from now, and 100 years from now, and 500 years from now. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Last one, Psalm 103, verse 4. He crowns you with steadfast love. He gives you a kind of dignity and value because of his steadfast love for you. That, that's why you hope in that kind of love. I mean, that's a love worth hoping in, isn't it? But... We, we are tempted not to hope in God's love, but to hope in war horses. Oh, did you miss that? Back up to verse 16. The king is not saved by his great army, although he's tempted to be. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength, although he's tempted to be. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue Anybody have any war horses this week? False hopes? For a, a war horse goes so, is something like this. Like, what resource can I marshal to try to meet my deepest need? What is it? What is it that I can pull together to try to meet my deepest need? Is it a relationship? God, if I were only in a relationship with somebody like that, or if I can only leverage something like that, even though the statistics have consistently said um, 12 to 18 months of infatuation, that's all you get right there, and then you have to figure out how to actually love that person. If it's not a relationship, is it, um, is it approval by somebody or some group? Some of you so long for somebody's approval or some group's approval. And I want to just tell you this morning, based on the authority of the Word of God, that is a war horse that is a false hope. You think you can marshal that sucker um, to get you what you de- so deeply need. It's a false hope. Maybe it's not approval. Maybe it's wealth, possessions, money. 
I could just have this amount or this in my bank account or this in my retirement account or reach this level in my organization, get this bonus, whatever. Maybe that would settle some things for me. Listen, there will always be problems that money cannot solve. It's a false hope. Maybe it's knowledge. And if I could just learn how to do this or learn how to manage that or learn this, whatever, I just ask you this question. How sure are you that you're right? And will it be different tomorrow? And I ask it that way to say this. At one point, you remember the world was flat. You remember that? At one point, that's what everybody thought. Everybody was certain of that. And I'm sure you have that knowledge. Will it be the same tomorrow? And lastly, and just because it's suburbia, I think so many of us work for uh, uh, on our appearance. Maybe the expression of somebody's approval is based on our appearance. That is a false hope. Why? Because it changes. Your appearance changes. Just look at your yearbook picture. I will simply say that. This week, this week we went out to, as a staff for lunch to celebrate Tyler's birthday. He had a birthday this past week. We're all sitting there. Um, eating at Zoe's of all places. And so we're sitting there eating and whatever. I'm not knocking it. It's not my fave, okay? We're sitting there eating. And, he, and he, he's talking about how old he is. And we're kind of chatting and stuff. And I said, you know, that's cool. Oh, there he is right there. Hey, Tyler, we're just telling this part of the story. And so um, I, I said to him, yeah, man, you just turned the age. I won't tell you what. It, you just turned the age that I was when I came here as the pastor. And then he looked at me and he goes, so this is what it does to you, huh? <laughs> yeah. Your appearance changes, okay? And you got staff to remind you of these things. To what end, though? To what end are, are we to hope in the steadfast love of the Lord? Look at what he desires to do, verse 19. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. What's he, what's he talking about there? He's talking about this. He's talking about you facing your fears. With the, I mean, think about what the two main fears are in this life. Like, what is the greatest fear in this life to keep you alive in famine? And that he may deliver you from death. So not only in this life, but the life to come. He wants to do so. He wants to know that you can hope in his steadfast love. And when you do, he is at work to deliver you from those fears. How does he go about doing this? This is why it's a Christmas sermon. He sends Jesus for you and for me to deliver us from our greatest fear in this life and the life to come. Jesus came and he lived perfectly and died sacrificially and rose victoriously so that you and I would indeed not have to face fear here. And we wouldn't have to worry about a fear that's coming after death. He gave his life so that we could live with God now. And we could live with God forever. He watches over us. And this is the, if you will, call to action. So you are seen. And that is a profound foundation for hope. And you are loved. And you need to know that. And then what, what then do we do? Well, we wait on the Lord. This is what verse 20 says. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our, we can have hope even as we wait. Anybody notice that God's timetable and ours are not necessarily the same? 
or that his path and ours aren't necessarily congruent with one another. There are times when we have to wait. We hope as we wait. You know what the opposite of hopeful waiting is? It's panicked action. Anybody ever had that moment? Like the news comes and all of a sudden you're like, oh, 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 go, 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 and you're running around like a squirrel who just had too many Red Bulls, right? Blood pressure's up, heart rate's up, everything's up, eyes are, you know, I mean, panicked action. And when, I mean, it's kind of funny to think about it in here, but when it actually plays out, it is a destructive force in your own soul. It is, it is a destructive force in your family. It is a destructive force in your relationships and in your businesses. All of these things. Now, can we just be clear here? Let's Just for a minute, think about last week. If you were here last week, I said this, I'll say it again. This is not inaction or passivity. Lest you think that waiting on the Lord is an excuse for passivity. This is not it. This is the question that I said last week we need to ask. I'm telling you again, when you have to wait on the Lord, as difficult as it may be, as frustrating as it may be, as patient um, as you have to be as you do so, don't think, I'm just going to sit here until you do something, God. Think to yourself this instead. What has God already told me to do? What do I know that I'm supposed to be doing? And then get about doing that until, until he tells you to do something different. That is what it looks like to have hopeful waiting. God, I don't know everything that I'm supposed to be doing, but I know I'm supposed to be doing this, and so I'm going to keep doing this. I'm not just going to sit around. I'm not just going to you know, just try to get your attention over here. I'm going to wait on you doing the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing until you tell me to do something different. When we move into panicked action, what we find is, is that it's the opposite of this witness of the kingdom. This is from Matthew 6. Jesus says crazy stuff like, hey, don't worry. Anybody want to apply that one this week? Then he says, just look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. Does he take care of the lilies? Yes. Does he take care of the birds? Yes. You're more valuable than flowers. You got more than birds. You're going to be all right when it's all said and done. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. If you worry, you start acting like the Gentiles, those people who don't really know God. They're worried about all sorts of stuff. God knows what you need even before you ask Him. So don't worry. Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. All the rest gets added to. That's what Jesus says. So don't be panicked in your action. Be hopeful in your waiting. What does that look like? It looks like continuing to do the things that you know you're supposed to do. And how, where would you draw strength as you wait on the report on the uh, results, on the thing that's going to come, where would you draw strength to wait and to keep doing the things you're not supposed to be doing? Verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. Where do you draw that strength? He is your help. He is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. He's your strength. He's your shield. He's your help. He's the delight. Let your steadfast... When he says, let your steadfast love be upon us, O Lord. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. What's he saying? God, just keep me aware of the steadfast love that you have 
for me. Romans chapter 5 says it this way, that the Holy Spirit pours out God's love in our souls, into our hearts. He gives us His love. And when the Bible uses that verb, pours out, don't think like, hey, I've got a little faucet here and I'm going to just turn it on just a little bit so it goes trickle, trickle, trickle. No, no, that's, that's not it. It's not even like put the thing full force until it comes out. The word pours out is something like the Holy Spirit takes the love of God and makes it like Niagara in your life. You want to know how you continue to wait on the Lord, to be hopeful in your waiting, and to know that God's steadfast love is upon you because the Holy Spirit has put Niagara, a Niagara-esque kind of love, and He's poured that out in your heart. That's where you draw the strength. That's where you draw the strength to continue to wait and hope. I'm going to take a minute and pray. And What I would like for us to do is just have some quiet here. Frank's going to come up, sing a song over us as we um, reflect, but just take a moment and wait. Sit before Him. Take maybe what God has said, and God, is there anything? Maybe look over your notes if you took notes. God, is there anything that had my name on it in particular? How am I supposed to respond? Let me pray for us. Have a few moments to reflect. Now, Father, here we are, your people. I'm grateful that you've spoken through your word. I pray, Father, for every single person in here. Every one of them. Young, old, hurried, those at peace, those on the mountaintop and those in the valley, those who came in light, those who came in burdened, every single person in here. I pray now, Father, that you would speak to them. Write something unique on their heart. Frank and Josh are just going to sing over us for a moment. If you, if you would receive this, receive it. Have a moment where you ask God, okay, God, what, what do I need to do in light of this? What, is, what does it look like to wait on you? What does it look like to be hopeful in my waiting? Receive this. <laughs>